Hi, I'm James Dickey, Senior Trial Counsel for the Upper Midwest Law Center, Minnesota's nonprofit public interest law firm that fights for liberty and the rule of law. Welcome back to Minnesota Law Weekly, where Doug Seaton and I update you on important developments on legal issues in Minnesota and how we at UMLC are your voice fighting for you in the courts. Today we are talking about developments in Minnesota's education law at the legislature. As we noted a few weeks ago on our program with True North Legal's Renee Carlson, the legislature has been moving fast and furious to take a narrow margin of control in both houses of the legislature to fundamentally change major Minnesota laws and policies. Education law has not been spared that treatment, as bills are passing granting money based only on race and requiring CRT in Minnesota schools as a fundamental principle in our education standards and curricula. The week of April 24th, the legislature took up the education finance and policy omnibus bills, and there is a lot in there. I will start off with the lowlights. In the Education Finance Omnibus Bill, Article 1, Section 16, school boards will be allowed to renew an expiring referendum by board action alone, no action of the taxpayers, if it's the same as the amount expiring and no longer than the initial referendum. Taxpayers are often concerned about the approval of levies and referenda, which increase their taxes, and often advocate for the school districts to make do with what they have, especially if their current spending appears to be wasteful. This provision, if fully adopted, should raise an alarm to voters to be prepared that if they vote to approve a referendum for their school district, they can expect it could easily be doubled in size and length by an action of the school board and no further input from the voters. Also in the Education Finance Omnibus Bill, Article 4, Section 13, grants are provided to certain teachers in Minnesota, but based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity alone. Race-based classifications like these are subject to strict scrutiny under our 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because they are likely just race-based discrimination. These grants include grants only available to black and Indian American, quote, mentors, grants for race and ethnicity-based affinity groups, and grants only for black and American Indian teachers for master's or graduate courses. Much of the drive for these concepts is based on the idea that teachers of color are better role models for students of color. But the U.S. Supreme Court has rejected the role model theory as a basis for racial, racial classifications in the law related to teachers as long ago as 1986. Moving over to the Education Policy Bill, Article 3, Section 3, Ethnic Studies has been approved by both houses and required to be included in every single standard in Minnesota schools. Senator Jim Abler tried to amend the bill to require teaching of, quote, the study of diversity and ethnicity, but that failed on a party line vote. Ethnic studies is not, as some supporters falsely state, about real history. Here is its definition, quote, ethnic studies analyzes the ways in which race and racism have been and continue to be powerful social, cultural, and political forces, and the ways in which race and racism are connected to other axes of stratification including stratification based on gender, disability, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, and legal status. That's a mouthful. But this is what it's about is the prevailing progressive theory that America is a nation steeped in white supremacy and racism to its core. And, and ethnic studies explicitly requires instruction on intersectionality, how all victim groups are placed on lower tiers of society and in victim hierarchies by the majority race, ethnicity, and so on. In short, this change will require Minnesota's standards for all K-12 subjects 
to include critical race theory as a fundamental principle of learning. But the bill doesn't stop with the academic standards and ethnic studies. It also strips local school districts of their power to keep CRT out of curriculum. As you may know, academic standards are created by the Department of Education, and they provide a set of expectations for learning for students. Local school boards have wide discretion to set curriculum to best situate students to achieve those expectations. But not anymore, as it relates to what the legislature calls, quote, anti-racism of the education policy bill, each school board will now be required to, quote, integrate curriculum that is anti-racist and culturally sustaining. Anti-racist is defined in Article 6, Section 2 as, quote, actively working to identify and eliminate racism in all forms so that power and resources are redistributed and shared equitably among racial groups. In other words, coming to a public school curriculum near you, if it isn't already there, your children will be learning lessons that reinforce the principle that all outcomes must be the same in order for our society not to be racist. But how is anti-racism put into practice in the real world? According to one of its most famous proponents, Ibram X. Kendi, and I quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. This is racism, pure and simple. Race-based discrimination has no place in our country, no matter the race of its proponents. And I could go on with other examples of very controversial requirements advanced by these bills. But I do want to highlight a couple of positives from the last week. First, again, you will recall that a couple episodes ago with Renee Carlson, we talked about some members of the legislature's attempt to make faith-based universities ineligible for the Minnesota PSEO program, which would be blatant religious discrimination. The House passed that discriminatory provision on a party-line vote. But in the Senate, Senator Julia Coleman introduced an amendment that passed 34-33, removing this illegal provision from the Senate version of the bill. Now the two bills will likely go to conference committee to determine whether the Senate or House version will be adopted. We hope the legislature wisely chooses the Senate version, but you can guarantee a lawsuit will follow swiftly if the House version with this discriminatory provision is made into law. Second, Senator Jim Abler was able to introduce an amendment that removed a provision that would have eliminated a pathway to what is known as Tier 3 teacher licensure by virtue of teacher experience, as opposed to through a teacher preparation program. Over a thousand Minnesota teachers were relying on the pathway to Tier 3 licensure through experience, and the bill threatened to end that route, which would have potentially pushed those teachers out of the classroom. And the fact is, minority teachers are more likely to use that experience pathway, because we at UMLC believe that the bill would have potentially violated the due process and equal protection clauses of the U.S. and Minnesota constitutions, we sent a letter to the House Senate majority and minority leaders and the chairs and ranking members of all committees hoping to educate them, inform them, and inform them about the bill. We hope that our efforts were helpful to the legislature, and we're glad the experience pathway remains open for Minnesota's teachers. What now then? As you can see, we at UMLC are closely following every action of the legislature. We are staying informed so that we can take action against laws passed that are illegal and unconstitutional. And you had better believe that we are marshalling all of our resources to do exactly that. And in addition, we at UMLC are standing up against illegal actions across the state, 
taken by the legislature or even by your local school board. On April 27th, we filed a new lawsuit in Sorkin versus Rock Ridge School District because Rock Ridge censured board member Polly Sorkin, removed her from committees, and told her she was also barred from even learning about what committees do by attending as a member of the public, which board members part of the scheme have admitted was designed to keep Ms. Sorkin uninformed about the board's business. Why? Because she asked hard questions. She encouraged fiscal discipline. She stood up for the proper interpretation to the law, and she supported the public's right to speak and address the school board. The First Amendment does not allow the school board to retaliate against Ms. Sorkin like that, and we are proud to represent Ms. Sorkin. That's it for this week on Minnesota Law Weekly. You can learn more about the Upper Midwest Law Center by visiting umlc.org, and you can also make a confidential tax-deductible donation on our website or by sending us a check to 8421 Wyzetta Boulevard, Suite 300, Golden Valley, Minnesota 55426. And we would urge you to do that. We are fully donor supported and charge our clients nothing. And we are standing up for you in court and want to fight for you on every front. Help us do more for you by making a donation today. Thank you and we'll see you next week.